Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems in their homes. This is Mandy Hammond. I am so glad you're joining us today. If you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, we are so glad that you found us. You're no longer alone on this journey of navigating screens in your home. You have found your people. So speaking of like-minded people, um, in my role as Screen Strong's Ambassador Liaison, I have the great honor of meeting people from all over the globe who are passionate about rethinking screens, and they're passionate about educating others as well. Our potential ambassadors find us through online searches, our website, Instagram, and even this podcast. Um, They are individuals who are passionate about saving kids and bringing education and awareness to their communities around this topic of being Screen Strong. So today I get to highlight one of our certified ambassadors and the work that he is doing in his circle of influence. I met him several months ago during our ambassador interviews and knew right away that he would make an excellent addition to our ambassador team. Tom Heydrich is joining me all the way from Brisbane, Australia. He has just completed his final semester of Master's of Educational and Developmental Psychology and will soon be registered as a fully licensed psychologist in Australia. So welcome, Tom. Thank you so much, Mandy. Pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so glad to be finally getting this podcast um, out there because I know since I interviewed it, I thought you would make a great podcast guest. So I'm excited for our audience to hear from you today. I'm going to let you kind of start us off and tell our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of the journey that you've been on with your education and where you're practicing now. And um, we'll kind of start there and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure thing. Um, So I am, as you said, wrapping up my last semester of my master's in psychology. Um, That has taken the last two years. Prior to that, I had to do what we call an honors degree over here. So that's where you actually investigate a particular area and write a thesis. Um, So I got really interested in personality trait narcissism, um, which funny enough has quite a crossover with technology in the modern world. Uh, And then before that, I did a Bachelor of Psychological Science. And prior to that, I had another life working in corporate business, um, which I did for about five years after I graduated my first degree in business um, and really loved that. Got to do a lot of travel, meet a lot of people. But after a period of time, I had this growing sense that I just wanted to do something that felt more personally meaningful. And that's where psychology really came in. And it has absolutely captured my heart and my mind. And I have never looked back. And I am so thrilled that uh, I've gotten the opportunity to do all the study that I have. And now I get the opportunity to go out into the world and start practicing with my own lot of patients, which is very exciting. That is very exciting. It's always so great to find something that you love. I mean, that's how I find, that's how, what I think now of Screen Strong, you know, when I found Screen Strong as a mom, I didn't have any idea that, you know, three, four years later, I'd be here doing this. And I just love it. It's just amazing when you love your job and love helping people and what you get to do. So tell us, how did you discover Screen Strong in your, you know, on your journey and as you kind of dove into the technology side of things and how screens were affecting people? Yeah, sure. So I came across Screen Strong in June this year. I actually went back and had a look. It was the first day of June. And okay. it was in the context of a group project that I was doing with two other master's students. And we were investigating the impact of technology use on the development of the brain. And we had to do a lot of research uh, in order to put together a 20 minute webinar that we recorded together. And 
uh, as part of that, one of my fellow students sent me a link through Facebook Messenger and said, hey, look at this podcast that I found that is talking about dopamine. And it was, I still remember, episode 151 of the Screen Strong Families podcast. It was with Dr. Dunkley, and she was discussing with Melanie the impact um, of dopamine on the brain and behavior and how screen exposure um, really was uh, artificially elevating these dopamine levels to extraordinary heights something just sort of clicked in my mind um, and I became really interested. I think the thing that hooked me though was when I first clicked play on that first podcast and Melanie came on and she does that lovely intro line where she says, if you are uh, a new friend, we are so glad that you found us. You're no longer alone. And there was this feeling of warmth that really radiated through my AirPods. And I just sort of felt this real sense of, wow, okay, this, this, this lady's got me. She knows what she's talking about. She's really holding me in this safe space and I don't feel alone. And from there, I was just really in raptures. You know, I just was sitting back and listening to these two really, really smart ladies talk about complex neuroscience but break it down into terms and metaphors that made so much sense. And I got to the end of that third, first podcast and I thought to myself, yep, this is, this is something that I need to get in amongst. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. See, I don't even know if I knew that whole story behind that. And I just, I think that's so cool. And, you know, that's what we hope that, because the reality is we're just, a lot of us here, started out, you know, we're just moms and we're just concerned about the kids of this next generation, you know, and that's what Melanie brings that plus so much more to the table with, you know, how she presents all of this. And that's what got me too, as a parent, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. She's telling me in a way that makes sense and I can understand the science and I'm not a sciencey person. Um, <laughs> so well, great. So how have you been able, I guess, tell me whatever you want to tell me about your journey with screens and technology. So you kind of tapped into screen strong's resources. Obviously you were already researching on your own as well. What were some of the things that you were finding at that time and were they surprising to you or, you know, confirming what you already thought? Yeah. Um, look, I think I always had this implicit sense as most of the view, uh, the listeners of this podcast probably would write that mm -hmm. when we talk about screens and technologies, there just seems to be this unspoken component of their use um, in terms of the negative side effects. Um, and I was really interested to stand back and look at, I guess, all of society through this lens of what aren't we discussing uh, in terms of the unwanted ramifications of technology use. And how does that play out in human development? Um, a big part of my master's has focused on developmental theory. So we're really interested in authors like um, Bronfenbrenner, who is interested, I guess, at how different factors at all different levels of society impact people. You know, from that, from that lens, right, if I was thinking about an average young person that was coming to see me in clinic that was having behavioral problems, sleep issues, school refusal, uh, maybe just a lot of conflict uh, between siblings or parents. It was so amazing to 
just come in with a question, what is the screen use look like in your home? And I was just getting these insistent responses that, yeah, we feel like they're on the screens too much. It's always a problem when we try and get them off the screens. There's always a fight. Um, or we found that since he started online gaming, he's just not interested in going out and socializing with his friends anymore. Or, um, oh, we've noticed that since she got involved in that group chat that she seems a lot moodier or just unhappier about things and is always commenting on her appearance and her clothes. And, you know, it just, it, it seemed to be so pervasive. So I, I was really interested, I guess, in this systemic impact of, of tech use. And the more I got into Screen Strong's resource trove, um, which is a godsend, by the way, I, <laughs> I felt as though I sort of was partially cheating through that subject because Melanie and, and the rest of you guys over at Screen Strong have just done such a fabulous job um, in curating this library of incredibly valuable research. You know, the more I read, the more I consumed, the more I was thinking, gosh, why why has this been sort of under our nose for all of these years, but nobody is talking about it? Even in the psychology classes, we're learning the science of how things can go wrong. But in terms of the common risk factors, um, tech use is just not something that is made a big deal out of, um, certainly not to the extent that I think it should be. <laughs> well, and I agree with you, but why do you think that is in your professional opinion? I mean, being in that world that you're in, why do you think they're not talking about it? I think part of this is that it's such a novel problem. Um, this is the first generation of parents that's really ever having to deal with this issue. And so there's no intergenerational wisdom um, to be passed down on on how to go about managing this. I think also the fact that technology is just so ubiquitous that, you know, it, it has permeated so many facets of our lives. I was even sort of reflecting over the weekend with some friends. We went out for breakfast and it's now the norm that you sit down at a table and, and you scan a QR code on your phone and you're ordering and paying right from your device. And so the only time you really get any interaction with staff is when they come over to drop the food off or, you know, pick up your, your plates. Um, and I was thinking, gosh, like this, this tech is just making its way so quickly you know, into, into all these different facets of our lives. And um, it's really taking away so much connection. And I think as a psychologist, that's one thing that I spend a lot of my time thinking about, particularly a developmental psychologist. I'm really interested in attachment, in how people are connecting and how through that connection, so much of the human experience is experienced and how when we are over-reliant on our devices that we deny ourselves and exclude ourselves from those attachments. And I think that that has just got such massive potential for a whole host of issues, uh, both immediate and long-term. Oh, yes, for sure. And, you know, at ScreenStrong, we're always talking about family attachment being the number one critical need, um, you know, for development of a healthy brain, that family attachment and belonging is so, so important. So have you, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but can you think of any examples or um, I guess times that you saw and you could point it right back to that? I always tell parents, the family attachment starts to go away the second a phone is introduced. Like the second a child has that device in their hand, the detachment starts. Would you say that that's true in your studies and what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is 
a point that needs to be more frankly and openly discussed in you know in, in all contexts because i don't believe that there is um a a level of screen exposure um that doesn't carry with it some kind of risk now that's not to say that there are not valuable uses and applications of technology absolutely they are but i'm yet to be convinced by somebody in the scientific community that there is a piece of technology that can be integrated into learning that carries 100% positive effect and doesn't have with it a risk and i think one of the risks that you guys talk about quite a lot which is so so important is around this idea of self control of the wiring up of the um the frontal cortex and we know that you know it takes until we're about 25 before that physical maturation has occurred um and before that we're really expecting kids to make use of this technology that is just designed to be so rewarding to the brain uh and so yeah. easy to become addicted to and we're trusting that they're going to have the ability to put it down when cold hard fact is that they simply don't that their biology yeah. is not yet at a point that they have that capacity to put limits on themselves and this is probably one of the aspects of adolescence and human development that is you know most challenging that adolescence is a tricky tricky time and there's so much already going on i think that it's frankly unfair of us as a society to hand these shiny toys essentially um because this how this is how they're being used to these kids and then asking them to please be responsible please self limit please don't uh allow your use to get to a space where it's producing unwanted or unhealthy side effects. Yeah, I agree. So here's a question too that I thought of. So how would you say because we don't always talk about this either, but how do you say parent use of screens is impacting attachment with their kids? <laughs> I know we don't we don't, we don't we don't talk about that a lot. Screen strongs are focusing on the kids, but that's the reality. Yeah. I always have somebody in the audience say, "Well, we're just as dick to our phones, so, you know, how I've got a I don't want to be a hypocrite, but you know, we can't just say, well, then our kids can be addicted too. So tell me, how have you seen the parent use impacting? Absolutely. And, you know, again, I think this is such an important point to highlight that even though, you know, once we hit 25, we might have that physiology there. We might have the necessary wiring in place to be able to, um, to inhibit behavior or to self-regulate when we need to that doesn't always mean that we're going to and i i we we see this with with adults with parents um across all sectors of society right is that it's using that same underlying neurobiology it's using those dopaminergic pathways um that are being lit up again and again and again and they're addicting to all brains so you know an example that i'll get in clinic is of the really worn out parent that comes in you know cost of living is incredibly high this idea that we've got the stay at home mum as a given or a stay at home parent as a given i think that that's quite a luxury these days because so many families now have yeah. to have both parents gainfully employed to afford uh the cost of living and so it means that we've got reduced supervisory resources we've also got parents arriving at home who are incredibly exhausted and you know the 
the, the proper, in air quotes, proper way, I guess, that we would like to see that evening routine go is um, together time, chances to talk about what's gone on through the day, to debrief, to provide that attachment and support. But of course, people are so fried by the time that they get home um, that there is that temptation to do the easy thing, the thing that the brain craves, which is to veg out and to do something that is low effort, high reward, um, which is to, to make use of these screens. And so I think the parents get really easily into this cycle where the kids will go off and amuse themselves and they're quiet and they're in their rooms and they're not fighting or bickering or bothering me. So everything's sweet. And so I'll go over here on the couch and have my veg out time. And the problem is that the more times we go through that routine, the more ingrained it becomes um, in, in our neurobiology and the more that we're just going to revert to those patterns of behavior. Um, and so it really, I think, is about empowering parents to say, look, we know that this is challenging. We know that we're asking a lot, but essentially the only way to get back to that space where you and your kids and your whole family is connecting, where people feel heard and validated, where they feel as though they've got the emotional resources within their family to call on to help them through, that's only really going to be present once we take away these massive distractors, these massive, you know, sources of disconnection. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's so true. Thank you for just kind of explaining that. Because I think, you know, a lot of us adults can relate to that. And I mean, I even can. I have three teenagers and, you know, they're still tempting times that I just want to sit there and look at memes on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I'm the screen star, you know, but like we all do it. And it's like, you have to be mindful of putting it down and connecting as a family and eating dinner together and, and doing those type of things. So here's a question, another question for you. Do you, off the top of your head, have any firsthand examples that you've experienced with someone improving their mental health by detoxing from screens? Like, is this something you've seen a lot in your practice so far and patients that you've seen? Is it something you suggest to people and, and do they do it? And have they seen positive results? I, I can absolutely tell you that yes, that people do improve when the technology use is limited. Um, and we really addressing the, what I would call it the underlying issue, which is what is this replacing? I always find yeah. that, you know, if we're coming back to that idea of attachment, we're always operating from a place of need as humans. So every behavior that we do is to satisfy some kind of innate need. Um, so if, you know, you go and grab something from the fridge, it's to satisfy hunger. If we're grabbing a phone or a device, we might be looking for connection. We might be looking for validation. We might be looking for something to cure us of boredom. <laughs> so in clinic, I'm always looking for what is this screen use really, you know, what need is that meeting? And how can we find something else to meet that need? Now, in terms of success stories, the ones that I've had the most success are the younger kids. And I think this stands to reason uh, because the longer an issue has been going on for, the more, again, ingrained it is into our patterns of behavior, into our neurobiology. So although we are neuroplastic and we've got the potential to change those connections and change that wiring, the longer that wiring is in place, the harder and more treatment resistant those behavioral patterns yes. can be. So it has really highlighted for me that when I get clients in, one of the first things that I'm addressing in our work together um, is their screen use uh, and trying to get an idea of 
what does that look like in your home? How long? Um, how often? Um, are we doing it together or is it uh, a separate siloed activity? What are we actually engaging with? And it's fascinating the variety of answers that you'll get from some parents who are really on top of it and they're aware of you know the potential negative consequences and so they'll try and be with their kids and I think you know again drawing on some of the resources you guys have created that that is where I think screen time really should sit at at a minimum is that it should be a co-viewing activity and it should be based on some kind of outcome um, usually something educational so when I've taken client systems like those family systems and we've looked at those needs we found ways for those needs to be more adaptive adaptively met and we look at where is there potential for more screen usage to be done together under parent supervision that's where I've had the greatest level of success I would also say that getting kids involved in their local communities however that occurs has been really successful I see a lot of neurodivergent kids there's um, a, a massive increase recently in developmental psych um, or all areas of psych really in the diagnosis of things like ADHD and autism we're seeing I guess this this trend where parents are thinking it's okay that for, for those kids tech is a really great substitute because you know they're socially anxious so they've got online gaming friends that they can talk to or um, they find sensory stimulation really overwhelming so this is something that they can do that they enjoy that's nice and quiet and it's in those moments where you know you've you've really got to be supportive but empowering at the same time and say look I, I can see that you're trying to do something that is so positive for your child um but did you know that you know, these are the potential negative consequences. Look at this research. There are other alternatives. I think once you empower parents with that knowledge that things like, you know, movement-based activities are one of the best remedies for hyperactivity impulsivity, um, that if you get them involved in local sporting teams, that's going to be so great for them. Um, I really would encourage people to go and listen to um, the recent podcast with Melanie's daughter, Melissa, where she talks about going through high school without a phone and without a smartphone and being so involved in her sport. And I was sitting there listening, being like, yes, Melissa, that is like so great because she was developing those connections with her teammates, those uh, physical skills. So, uh, you know, and, and, and now is able to reflect um, and say, wow, my childhood was so uncomplicated by comparison. There wasn't any of this drama and this cattiness between friends and people actually came to me and asked me for advice. <laughs> It's really about showing parents, hey, this is achievable. It's not going to be easy because we're we're essentially breaking a cycle of addiction, as we would with you know alcohol or drugs or anything else. Um, so you're going to get some some blowback, and it's not going to be the most comfortable process. But I promise you that at the other end of this, there is a life that is less conflictual, that is filled with moments of thriving, and that is really yeah. characterized by a, a better sense of psycho-emotional health and better connectedness between people and between families. So I think that's just a really positive message to be able to offer people. Yeah, no, thank you. That is just you encouraging me. Um, I love that you just said, and I want to repeat this so that we can just repeat it so parents can hear this again, but I, I've not thought of it this way. With your facing a child who is addicted to their screen in some way, 
um, and you're struggling with this, I love that you said, figure out what need is the screen meeting. And it's like, I think so many times as parents, we get frustrated, you know, why are, why is my kid addicted to their screen? Why can't they turn it off? Why, you know, we get frustrated with them. And as Melanie says, it's because we're treating them like adults before they're ready. Their brain is ready to be yeah. an adult. Um, so I love this. What, instead just asking ourselves like, okay, let's step back here. What need is this meeting? And then finding something else to meet that need. I love that. I've just, we talk about replacing screens all the time with stuff, but I just love how you put that there. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I guess one thing that uh, one thought I would have to add to that is when I think about particularly school-aged kids, two of the biggest needs that we have as individuals going through those preteen and teen years is to feel a sense of belonging that we are valued that we you know within our school community within our sporting teams or our social clubs that we belong that we are valued we're seen as being intrinsically valuable to that team or that group we bring something special so that's that's one thing that we really need and then we're also looking for a sense of mastery so we're really trying to develop what we're using those school years to develop not just a sense of ourselves but to also practice engaging in a whole bunch of different skills, musical, sports, social, academic, to try and find our niche, to find what we are good at, what we enjoy. And then through repetition, through consistent practice and application, we see a betterment of those skills. And, you know, again, Melissa is a prime example of this. Uh, you know, a young woman who has graduated and gone on and done further education with a sense of herself, with who she is, and that sense of self was in relation to her family, her screen strong community, her sporting team. So she's drawing a sense of herself and building that, but she's drawing it from sources that are multiple, that are varied, and that provide her some real stability. Um, and I think if you were to compare that, I guess, to a teen who spends most of their time on social media or online gaming, that's a really narrow window of things that we're engaging in. And when we're denying ourselves through that practice, the ability to try new things, to meet new people, to practice those social skills. So, I, you know, I, I think it's just, again, one of those, a matter of standing back and saying, where is my teen struggling? What are the aspects of their life that are most challenging at the moment? And what could we be doing to help get them into a place where they can start addressing those, you know, those skill gaps? You know, yeah. I, I think that that's just, again, another simple thing that we can do. It requires a lot of encouragement, but, and, and a lot of support to get them there. But again, once you get these kids into this place where they're feeling that sense of belongingness um, and, a, and a sense of, hey, I'm getting better at this, I'm developing that mastery you're just onto a winner from that point. Absolutely. And it is hard at first, but you've got to commit to it and know that at the end of it, it's going to mm -hmm. be worth it. Absolutely. Um, so what do you think, and just kind of, as we kind of are getting towards the end here, what do you think happen in society for something to change? And for us as a society to go the other direction, do you think we are going to start going the other direction? Do you think that we as adults and parents are going to wake up or even, you know, um, psychologist and, you know, the medical field, all that. Do you, what do you think? What's your take on that? Look, I would, I think the signs are really, really positive. And I would like to think that as we go through time, as organizations like Screen Strong um, gain more traction and get bigger, as more people are listening to this messaging, um, the awareness 
is starting to spread and, you know, the first sol- step to solving any problem is to recognise that there is one, right? You, you, would, you would know so much better than most how few parents globally are aware of the potential for negative outcomes. So I think the the first part of this journey, and we really are in the first stage of this journey, is to continue to spread the message and to empower people through education. Because I'm seeing so much of that, I am definitely confident that we're trending in the right direction. Um, I also did see that uh, earlier this year, Beyond Blue, which is one of our uh, Australia's biggest national mental health organizations uh, released their national survey of mm-hmm. mental health and they got about 2,400 teachers from around the country to rate the top three health issues facing school-age kids and number one was mental health issues and number two was excessive screen time um, and number three was bullying. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and again, we could sort of see so much overlap between those three, couldn't we? Uh, you know, we're, we're getting recognition at all levels of society. Um, I have also seen that there are schools who are implementing bans on smartphone or just all cell phones. So kids aren't going to be able to have, you know, at certain select schools, their phones um, on on site. So at least we're reclaiming those six, seven hours where they're able to sort of just engage with the education uh, and not be distracted by all this stuff. So look, I think, yes, we are trending in the right direction. A lot of work yet yet to do. And I don't think, unfortunately, we've seen the last of the negative outcomes. But I am very, very optimistic that with organisations like Screen Strong spreading the message that um, one day we will be on top of this issue. Yes, we believe that too. We really do. And just in the last few years, seeing the traction that Screen Strong has gained and um, that we're reaching, I mean, we are up to almost 100 ambassadors globally now. And those are people just like you, you know, that are out there and saying, hey, we're going to spread this message. We're going to bring awareness. And so let me give a plug for that. If you're wanting, if you're passionate like Tom and I are and the rest of our ambassadors and our team, you can sign up to be an ambassador on our website and go through our certification training um, that we do every couple months or so. So we would love to have you join us. We need people in every city and every country um, sharing this message. So just as we close up today, Tom, um, and you know, Melanie asked this to all of her people, so I've got to ask you too, since you're my guest today, but what advice um, or encouragement would you give specifically to parents? Maybe they haven't given screens yet and they're just, they kind of know, you know, I don't want to give them, or maybe they're in the thick of it. Like what would you what advice would you tell parents around this? My biggest piece of advice is to plug into Screen Strong because there is just so much there um, and I could not possibly summarize all the wisdom and wonderful evidence and advice that's contained there. Um, so definitely jump on to Screen Strong and, and, and start educating yourself because there's just so much power in that. In terms of a personal kernel of wisdom that I would offer, for parents to feel like they are enough, that they do have everything inside of them that they need in order to be the coach that their kids need. Your kids don't need a friend. They don't need someone who's going to say yes to every request and to cave on the smartphone thing because all my friends are doing it. What your child needs is someone who is going to be thinking about their best interests long term. That is your role and you are so, so, so capable of doing that. You have everything that you need to do that job effectively and super well. I think just allowing 
yourself that space and that patience and exercising that kindness towards yourself that you're not going to get it right every time. And psych research says you don't need to. We're very big believers in the good enough parent. Um, some stats will say 30% of the time you need to get it right. So I think that is super, super encouraging. That like, you know, if you're only getting it right once every, once every three goes, we need to ditch this idea of perfection. We need to ditch this idea that it's going to be a pretty painless process, but we do need to feel strong and empowered in our own wisdom as parents, combining that with the wisdom of organizations like Screen Strong and going in there with the mindset that my teen may not like it, but one day they will turn around and thank me for this. Oh, wow, Tom. I am encouraged as a parent today. I really am. Thank you so much for just being just being so encouraging and loving. And, you know, you said that about Melanie when you first found our podcast, but I know people listening to this episode today too are going to hear it in your voice and just in the encouragement you just gave. I feel like I want to post it somewhere in my office. Like I only need to get it right 30% of the time. <laughs> it's a really strong message, right? Yeah. I just takes off a, just a load of pressure when you think you've got to do everything perfect and you don't want to ruin your kids. You know, we're all doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have. And so um, thanks so much for being here today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you everybody for listening today. I hope that you leave encouraged. I definitely am. I hope that you um, are even motivated to make even just one small step towards becoming a screen strong family if you're not already. And if you already are and you're already on this path, then just you know, we hope that this encourages you just to continue on this path. Um, we would love to see you over on Screen Strong Connect. Um, which is our online forum for families that is off of social media. It's really simple to join by going to screenstrong.org. And then we have ScreenStrong Connect Plus that's a subscription level that you can subscribe monthly and get even more information and webinars with Melanie and Dr. Stacy and some of us on the ScreenStrong team. Um, we are on social media though. So if you do want to find us there, our Facebook group is called ScreenStrong Families and our Instagram is at bscreenstrong. Obviously, we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a few friends to encourage them. Um, and like I mentioned, if you want more information on becoming a Screen Strong ambassador and being trained to spread this message and do your own workshops and speak for us, um, you can find that information on our website, screenstrong.org ambassadors. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you remove the screen conflicts from your home. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.